Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning, everybody. So good to see you. So thankful that we can gather and worship God. How many are grateful for our worship team and Pastor Nathan for how they lead us every week? It's really grateful for that. Well, before we get to the message today, uh, just a couple announcements. I do want to remind you of Revive 2021 that's coming up on June 10th and 11th at 6.30 p.m. It's going to be Thursday and a Friday night. It's free, and we want you to come because we believe God's going to do something great. Really, church, we, we need you there. We need you there because we believe that God's going to do something fresh and new in our midst for the future um, of the church and your life. And so really excited about everything that's, uh, that's coming together and the, the special artists that are going to be in town for us to really lean into God. And I'm going to share um, a word every night or of those two nights that are really going to challenge us and prepare us for the next season that God has for us. And, and you don't, you don't want to miss this. And I just, if you can, please be here. But also want you to be aware, we are anticipating a lot of people. We're anticipating many, many folks showing up. Um, and so you may want to get here early as you prepare for that, but don't save two rows, please. And uh, we'll just be a Christian, okay? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, really, just you do want to get here early if you can. So just mark that in your mind because I, I really want all of us to experience everything God has for us. Also, next week, I want to let you know that really excited. We have baptisms that are coming up. And uh, we have a little, I think around 25 people getting baptized next Sunday, which is going to be really great as we celebrate their public confession and through baptism to serve Jesus Christ. And I, I love this picture. It's so great. Um, but I, I just want to encourage you, if you're interested, if you want to get baptized, you feel like that's what God's putting on your heart, you can jump on our website and sign up. And we'd love, we'd love to dunk you in the name of Jesus. And uh, we know this, listen, salvation is not through baptism because the power is in the blood, not the tub, but it is a public demonstration that I am a follower of Jesus. And if you've never done that, I would invite you to do that. So guys, today we are continuing in this series um, in Daniel. You know, and there are seasons of, of messages and series and really seasons as within our church that God really lays it on my heart to preach certain things. And some fit for this group of people, some fit for this group, of, some are for the purpose of evangelism, some for the purpose of discipleship, um, all of those types of things. But this particular series has been, a, has been, I really sense the Spirit of God equipping us as a church to truly live godly lives in an ungodly culture. And I know some of the things I'm saying is makes maybe some of you uncomfortable. I know you feel like, my gosh, Jason, you know, I, it just, it, it, we're not used to hearing such clarity. Or, but I, I really believe that God needs us as the church to have very clear lines and moral clarity as believers as we live for God in an ungodly world. If the church doesn't say it or preach it, who will? And so I just, I, I just want to encourage you. This, this message is equipping. It's equipping for the disciples of Jesus Christ. These messages are for believers. 
They, they are not for unbelievers because you can't, you can't apply the word of God to people who don't know God. You can't apply, you know what, you should be acting this way. No way. They, they need Jesus first. And then he begins to shape them into his image. And so for us as believers... We want to prepare our hearts to receive from God today. As I prepared this, I thought, Lord, do you really want me to share this? And he says, yes, I do. God wants to bring clarity to our lives. He wants to, to, for us to understand if we're going to live for God in an ungodly world, we, we've got to have some distinctions through the word. And so we're going to continue to lean in today. We've been on a great journey. We've been learning from Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego last week. We learned from Stephen out of Acts 7. We learned from Thomas Hawk, one of the martyrs from the Justice Book of Martyrs. And so I just, today we're going to be learning from somebody that maybe you didn't realize you could learn from. And we're going to be in Daniel chapter 4 today, and we're going to be reading a lot of scripture. So if you want, you can get your phone out or your, your Bible and follow along. But today we're going to lean in. We're going to allow the word of God to challenge us, to speak to us, to shape us. And we are going to learn from this man who's really been at the center of of all of this leading up to chapter 4. And we're going to look at when you live your life for God in an ungodly culture, you have to guard your mind against the influence of that ungodly culture. Now here's the truth, and I've said it and I'll keep saying it. An ungodly culture is not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. But we as believers who are called to be in the world but not of it are called to be distinct from the world so when their life crashes on the rocks of life, they can look up and find a distinction of a lighthouse versus another crash ship next to them. Our our lifestyle, our behavior, who we are, the language of our mouth should be different than that of a world that doesn't know Jesus. And so today is another step in that direction. It's a challenging word today, challenging even in my life as I prepared this and preach it today, but I believe it's what God has for us. So today, we're going to lean into some things that infiltrate God's people as we live in an ungodly culture. And it really hasn't just been for years or the last few years. This is something that has existed from the creation of mankind something that that has been present, something that has plagued humanity all the way up to today. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity calls what we're looking at today the great sin. It's the sin that causes Adam and Eve, or caused Adam and Eve to fall. It's the sin that caused Lucifer to fall. And really for Adam and Eve, what what sealed the deal for them is Satan told them that if you eat of this fruit, you will be like God, meaning you can be your own God. And then they took took of it and they ate. What we're talking about today is something that affects every one of us, but we are talking about something that is prevalent in the world around us. We're talking about pride. C.S. Lewis continues to say more in mere Christianity, there is no fault that makes a man more unpopular, nor no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Proverbs 16 says this, pride goes before destruction, before Lucifer's fall, It was pride in his heart, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
I think that no one in the Bible came to understand this passage and this truth more than King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. Proud of his accomplishments and proud of his speech, he understood and learned Proverbs 16, 18 really quickly. He learned it the hard way. And the fact is this, you can be strutting around like a king one day and living like an animal the next. On the morning that changed King Nebuchadnezzar's life, absolutely without question, he felt like he was the king of the world. He was the, at the front of the Titanic, I'm the king of the world. He looked around and thought, man, I'm something. But by the time the day was over, he wasn't even king of the animal kingdom. This is the last time we see King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. But something remarkable has happened to him in this chapter four. And this chapter is very interesting. Some, some very interesting events took place in his life and he, and he ends up being a different man at the end of this chapter than we saw in the previous three chapters leading up to this. In the beginning of this chapter, Daniel is called by Nebuchadnezzar to interpret another dream for him. And we will see some of that dream as we read through this, but I am gonna be reading from the message and I'm gonna be reading several verses today. Now, the message I use as a commentary, as I've said before, I don't use it, use it as a translation because it was translated by Eugene Peterson, who is a great man of God and a great pastor, but the integrity of translations, I stay away from those who have been only translated by one individual. I, I lean to those who have been translated by a team of people that were striving to challenge each other on the integrity of the original translation. Amen? But I am going to read this as a commentary, and it's a great supplement to your reading because it expresses some things really nicely in this narrative. So we'll begin Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home, taking it easy in my palace without a care in the world. But as I was stretched out on my bed, I had a dream that scared me, a nightmare that shook me. I sent for all the wise men of Babylon so they could interpret the dream for me. When they were all assembled, magicians, enchanters, fortune tellers, witches, I told them the dream. None could tell me what it meant. And then Daniel came in. His Babylonian name is Belteshazzar, named after my God, a man full of the divine Holy Spirit. I told him my dream. Belteshazzar, I said, chief of magicians, I know that you are a man full of divine Holy Spirit and that there is no mystery that you can't solve. Listen to this dream that I had and interpret it for me. This is what I saw as I was stretched out on my bed. I saw a big towering tree at the center of the world. As I watched, the tree grew huge and strong. Its top reached the sky and it could be seen from the four corners of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant, enough food for everyone. Wild animals found shelter under it, birds nested in the branches and everything living was fed and sheltered by it. Then the king continues in this chapter to give more details of his dream, but then I, I wanna move on to verse 18 where Daniel begins to speak about the dream. This is what I, King Nebuchadnezzar, dreamed. It's your turn, Belshazzar. Interpret it for me. None of the wise men of Babylon could make heads or tails of it, but I'm sure you can do it. You're full of the divine Holy Spirit. At first, Daniel, who had been renamed Belshazzar in Babylon, was upset. Thoughts that came swarming into his mind 
terrified him. Belteshazzar the king said, stay calm. Don't let the dream and its interpretation scare you. My master, he said, I wish this dream were about your enemies and its interpretation for your foes. The tree you saw that grew so large and sturdy with its top touching the sky visible from four corners of the world, the tree with the luxuriant foliage and the abundant fruit enough for everyone, the tree under which animals took cover, to which birds built nests, you, O king, are that tree. You have grown great and strong and your, and your royal majesty reaches sky high and your sovereign rule stretches to the four corners of the world. But the part about the holy angel descending from heaven and proclaiming, chop down the tree, destroy it, but leave the stump and roots in the ground, belted with a strap of iron and bronze in the grassy meadow, let him, and this him is speaking of Nebuchadnezzar, be soaked with heaven's dew and take his meals with the grazing animals for seven seasons, which is seven years. O king, also this refers to you. It means that the high God has sentenced my master, the king. You will be driven away from human company and live with wild animals. You will graze on grass like an ox. You will be soaked in heaven's dew. This will go on for seven seasons or seven years, and you will learn that the high God rules over human kingdoms and that he arranges all kingdom affairs. The part about the tree stump, the roots being left, means that your kingdom will still be there for you after you learn that it is heaven that runs things. So King Daniel said, take my advice. Make a clean break with your sins. Start living for others. Quit your wicked life and look after the needs of the down and out. Then you will continue to have a good life. And all this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar just 12 months later. He was walking on the balcony of his royal palace. Now, I want you to mark all this in your minds today in Babylon. And he boasted, look at this. Babylon the great. And I built it all by myself. A royal palace adequate to display my honor and my glory. The words were no sooner out of his mouth than a voice out of heaven spoke. This is the verdict on you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your kingdom is taken from you. You will be driven out of human company and live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like an ox. The sentence is for seven seasons. Enough time to learn that the high God rules human kingdoms and puts whomever he chooses in charge. It happened at once. Nebuchadnezzar was driven out of human company, ate grass like an ox, and was soaked in heaven's dew. His hair grew like the feathers of an eagle, and his nails like the claws of a hawk. King Nebuchadnezzar lost his mind, and he was driven out and began to suffer, and began to, things were transformed in his life. And so for us today to remind ourselves, we live in a culture that Nebuchadnezzar as king could actually perfectly fit in and lead and everyone would cheer him on. It's important that we realize as we are living for God in an ungodly culture that we live in a self-centered, ungodly culture. Do you realize that? And we live in a society that is consumed, now hear me today, with the agenda 
of me, the agenda of self, pride in self. It's really been sold to by an ungodly culture to everyone within the culture, but unfortunately it's also been sold to those who are in the church, those who are Christians. And the ungodly culture really tells you this, you are way better off than you feel. If you feel guilty because of your decisions, there's no reason to. You just need to have more, here we go, self-confidence. You just need to believe in yourself more. You are your own standard. You just need to be confident. You just need to own your life. But the reality is, what we know is that without a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, you are far worse than you ever could imagine. And we know that. The whole salvation process is the Holy Spirit revealing to us that we need him. And revealing to us that we have nothing actually righteous to offer. The Holy Spirit reveals to us we are depraved. Nothing in our lives is good without Jesus. We have been marked by sin. We are on the strings of our puppet master, Satan. We are, what scripture says, a slave to sin. We belong in the kingdom of darkness. And when the Holy Spirit reveals that to you, you realize I have nothing to offer, but I know I need a savior. And it's in that moment that we recognize we actually should not have confidence in self. We should put confidence in the one who can save us. Amen. And that's what the world we live in tries to tell us. You don't need a savior. You just need to be more self-sufficient and self-confident. But it's in the moment that God offers us, shows us we're a sinner. He offers us the solution and he redeems us. And he takes us from the kingdom of darkness, brings us to the kingdom of light but how can you be saved and rescued unless you recognize that you need to be saved and rescued? It is pride that hinders individuals from actually acknowledging that they need God. And so today, as we live as followers of God in an ungodly culture, we must refuse to live a life of pride. We must recognize that God is calling us to a new place. And we're going to learn from King Nebuchadnezzar, who would have ever thought that we could learn from a dude who last week threw people into a fiery furnace. But we can because it's the word of God. But as we live in a culture that's ungodly, we have to be aware that we, we need to one, we have to understand the strategies of the enemy. We have to understand that we are really on a battlefield in a kingdom that we, our job is to move the kingdom of God forward. And so if the enemy cannot keep you from being in the kingdom, he will keep you from moving things forward because he is intimidated by you being everything that God's actually called you to be because we have authority. So today, I want us to learn from King Nebuchadnezzar the effects of pride in our lives, or really, what does pride cost us? So lessons from the king. Number one, pride causes us to return 
to what we know doesn't work. We see this in King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 18 to 19 says, this is what I, King Nebuchadnezzar, dream. It's your turn, Belteshazzar. Interpret it for me. Now look, none of the wise men of Babylon could make heads or tails of it. Does that sound familiar? Yes. Because the last dream, none of the other people could do it. And, but I'm sure you can do it. Well, if you were sure, why did you, why did you go that route in the first place? If it didn't work before. No one could interpret it last time but Daniel. But according to his culture, that when something spiritual happens, there was a particular pathway that you went down. There was a particular um, way that you would go, go to try to get a false God to give you the interpretation. Even if it didn't work last time, that's just what the pattern that he fell into. And so here we see Nebuchadnezzar returning to what didn't work. Why? Because he didn't learn the last time. Why? Because he was influenced by his culture that says, when this happens to you, you need to go this direction, even though it didn't work. I mean, think about him. He had witnessed Daniel's interpretation the first time, which he, Daniel told him what the dream was and then told him what the dream meant. Then he saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in a fiery furnace, and then he went in there, he was like, and who's the fourth dude? Like he saw all of this. He had been confronted with the, with the works of God and the supernatural of God, but yet when he had another dream, he returned to the old way. See, when you live in an ungodly culture, what happens is that culture tries to tell you what you need to do when you have a need, what direction you need to go. And so for us to be aware that we are constantly receiving information from the culture, and this information is telling you, now listen to me today, where to get your needs met. They're telling you, oh, I know what you need. I'll tell you where to get your needs met. You get messages on TV, through social, through websites. When you're at university, the educational system, colleagues, friends, business partners, and a godly culture is trying to tell you what your needs are and where you can get them met. As followers of Jesus, you must be aware of that. You must be aware that the word of God possesses everything you need. The word of God defines what you really need in your life. So the ungodly culture that wants to influence you, wants to, to, wants to tell you you can get your sexual needs met this way. Or if you have a desire to make a difference with your life, let us tell you where you can make a difference. Or if you desire to be in a relationship, the ungodly culture tells you where to go to find it. An ungodly culture that's used by the enemy that's really used to indoctrinate our hearts and our minds to keep us from being everything God's called us to be. It's constantly trying to infiltrate your mindset, what you believe, the substance of your heart. The ungodly culture tries to define for you what your core human needs are. We know what you need. While at the same time telling you that they have all the answers and the solutions to what they have determined that you actually need. 
They might say, you know what? You know what? You can have a hobby. And I'm talking about culture. I'm not talking about any individual person. Again, they're not the enemy. They're victims of the enemy. We're called to love and serve them. But we must understand the world we live in. That an ungodly culture would say, you know what? You can have God as a hobby, but he can't meet all your needs. But we can. You don't need church, but you do need to be busy every Sunday because that's what really meets your needs. You don't need to be married, but you do need to act like you're married with all the relational and sexual benefits. You don't need the Bible for truth, but what you do need is to listen to your heart. Then they play the old 80s song, listen to your heart. I don't think they do that. And which, now think about this, if your heart has been indoctrinated by the beliefs of the world and the enemy, now you think that you're acting according to your heart, according to your will, according to your thoughts, but really the originator was the dark prince of this world, Satan, not God. The ungodly culture would say you don't need male and female genders, but what you do need is to allow us to create new categories that have never existed before from the beginning of time. So the question is, why? Why does this happen? Why why are Christians seem to be so easily seduced into the pathways of the world? Several years ago when the passing of same sex marriage was in our nation and state, I was shocked at the amount of Christians that on social were celebrating this law being passed. They were celebrating, they took the the, the covenant of God to the earth and Noah and they used that to celebrate what God calls sin. How can that happen? How does that even make any sense as a follower of the word of God and a follower of Jesus? It happened because of pride, because of indoctrination, because people have been seduced, because their own, the thoughts that they think are theirs are actually planted there so that they will be rendered useless as a child of God on the earth. And so for us to understand this, and and I'm, listen, the celebration of any sin by a Christian and being like, that's great and awesome is not fit for those who are in God's kingdom. It's by pride that somehow we, we, we lose our grip and our handle on what the word says. And I believe, for me, the ultimate act of pride is calling what God calls sin now not sin. While I'm walking with Jesus, while he died on the cross, I'm celebrating people who were engaging in all types of things. I celebrate that and give a thumbs up for that. When Jesus died to cleanse people from that, to deliver them from that. I'm celebrating the work of the devil and being like, that's awesome. The church must in these hours to come in our nation and our world, for your children's sake, for your grandchildren's sake, for your personal life's sake, 
you must understand what's going on. You must understand. What happens in our lives is though other people celebrate it, we Christians may not say it in our mouths. We may not say sin is not sin. We may not say righteousness is actually now unrighteousness. But we say it with our lives sometimes. I say it with my life sometimes. You say it with your life sometimes. Now, this is not to say that, that obviously we are, we're, none of us are perfect. None of us have reached Jesus' status and you will not until you step from this life into the next and you're present with the Lord. We're all gonna be conformed, but I, just, I, I want you to just think through this process a little bit. That which maybe Christian would know isn't God's best for our lives. We can play mental gymnastic games to conclude whatever it may be, it's okay. Or we create levels of sin where some are worse than others and so we can justify that it's all right for me to do this or do that. It's okay for me to, to murmur and complain. It's okay for me to gossip. It's okay for me to drink too much every once in a while. It's okay to look at porn. It's okay not to honor God with my finances. It's okay not to have a church or a pastor or a spiritual covering. It's okay to not be kind to my spouse. It's okay to have bitterness towards the culture that God's called me to love and to reach. It's okay to hate those who don't know God. Why? Because I want to. In other words... I will become my own God in these areas. I will determine how I am to live my life in these areas. It doesn't mean that Christians won't struggle. My point is this, don't hear what I'm not saying. We all struggle, but the grace of God meets us and empowers us to live righteous lives. My point is pride. My point is this, when we put our our words or replace our words or replace, excuse me, God's words with our words. When we put our words in God's mouth and replace what he said in his word is actually what we're saying, not what he said. That is the ultimate act of pride. Number two, regarding pride. Pride inflicts pain on our relationships and to those we are in relationship with. There is a cost to pride. Out of Daniel 4, at first, Daniel, who had been renamed Belteshazzar in Babylon, was upset when he, when he saw the interpretation of the dream. They were swarming in his mind and he said, he, said, he, was, he was freaking out and the king said, stay calm. So here you have Daniel who was special to Nebuchadnezzar, who was terrified and he was scared. Pride affects the relationships of people around. Daniel was scared not because of the cost of his pride, he was scared because of the cost of Nebuchadnezzar's pride. There was a great cost for all of our pride in our lives and in our relationships. And God wants to bring healing to that today. And that pride doesn't just affect you, it affects the individuals in your life. As a husband or a wife or a friend or a church member or a pastor or if you're on the impact team, we know this, that 
pride will affect those around us in a negative way. In the previous chapter, King Nebuchadnezzar's pride leads him to throw advisors he could trust, advisors that were for him, advisors that, were, that wanted the best for him, advisors that could interpret dreams, advisors that were, that were pure of heart and dear to him. As you read through this, you, you sense there was a relationship between the king and these Hebrew men. Advisors who were faithful to him, his pride convinced him to throw them in the furnace. Pride is a killer to relationships. A person full of pride doesn't show care or sacrifice or kindness or honor, does not ask for forgiveness, does not admit to doing anything wrong. It's hurt, it's hard for a prideful person to change because in doing so they are admitting there is something in them that needed to change. Pride kills our relationships. All throughout Scripture, it kills relationships. That which God gave you to bring you joy and to meet you and to, for mutual satisfaction and for intimacy and for friendship and for fun and, and, and to meet our needs, that which God gifted you, these relationships are deconstructed and can be de- deconstructed because we're prideful. And it robs us from the life and we hurt others. That's why, listen, we, to say God hates pride because it, it separates us, yes, but God hates pride because it destroys what he wanted to give you for your joy and pleasure because it hurts people and he loves people including you and it hurts you because it hinders you from, from prospering. It hinders you from promotions. It hinders you from being used maybe by God in, in ministry. It hinders you from growing in your intimacy with others. It hinders you. Therefore, God hates it, not because he's mean, because he loves you and he wants his best for you. But pride will sabotage what God wants for us. That's why he says in Proverbs 8, 13, I hate pride and arrogance because he loves you. Proverbs eleven two. when pride comes, then comes with dishonor. It hurts the people around us. Proverbs 13, through pride come nothing but strife. Well, then you think, oh, okay, what's strife? Well, James says this, for where there is strife, there is confusion in every evil work. Pride is the doorway in your life for confusion and evil to gain access to you. The reason an ungodly culture is trying to make pride beautiful, masculine, feminine, or convince you pride is a sign of strength and humility is a sign of weakness is because of pride. There's nothing wrong with being proud of, man, I'm so proud of my son, how he's living his life. I'm so proud of, you know, my, my, my church because I love what they do. That's totally different than having a prideful spirit. Nebuchadnezzar was the one who had the prideful spirit. It was all about him. Nebuchadnezzar teaches us also in number, number three that pride can hinder spiritual growth. So as humans, we have a growth hormone called HGH, human growth hormone. The reason dwarfism 
is in humanity is because something blocks the human growth hormone. And because the human growth hormone is prevented and restricted, the desired growth or expected growth is restricted. The intended growth doesn't happen. And for us to develop and mature and mature spiritually, we need to realize with actually what Dr. Tony Evans calls, we need SGH, spiritual growth hormone. And I believe what helps us grow spiritually is the growth hormone humility. It's all throughout Scripture. 1 Peter 5 says this, be clothed with humility. Why? Because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. You need to notice the point is God wants to exalt you, but he can't exalt you unless he can trust you with it, which is through humility. But it's also through his grace that he works humility in our lives. We just have to come to the place where we realize we need it. God wants to bless his children. God loves to bless his kids. He loves to. And as we know, spiritual growth is not directly connected to how, some, how long someone has walked with God. Think about this for a minute. There are people who walked with God for 50 years, and they're very spiritually immature. There are people who walk with God for five years, and they are like super spiritually mature. Their emotions and their mindset, and they've been saved. What's the difference? The difference is humility. Pride blocks the spiritual growth hormone. Pride blocks it. And so that which was intended, that's, that which God called you to, to do and walk out is blocked because we haven't humbled ourselves under God's mighty hand so that he could lift us up in due time. I want to move quickly. I want to look at Isaiah fifty-seven fifteen, which we should have on the notes. Scripture says, this is God speaking, so hear this. I live in the high and holy place with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. I live in the high and holy place with those, also with those, the, the, the right translation is also with those whose spirits are contrite and humble. Listen, this whole idea that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, it's not a warning it's an invitation that God wants to be near you. It's an invitation that God has an incredible plan for you. But because he is God and he can't violate his word, he is, he's longing, he's waiting. Look, he lives in the high places and he also, that like the God of the universe who created it, who formed it with the span of his hand, who, who, who made you and created everything that's still expanding in space today. He lives in the high and holy places, but he also lives with those who are humble. It's because he desires to bless your life. It's an invitation to be humble. It's an invitation to grow in your relationship and intimacy with him. And number four, what we learn from Nebuchadnezzar, that pride attracts the loving discipline of your heavenly father. Nebuchadnezzar began to look at how glorious he was. He began to believe his own words. 
He had, he had ignored Daniel's warning 12 months ago that Daniel said, hey, listen, this is going to happen, but let me give you a solution. You can renounce your sins. You can repent. You can just say, Lord, I'm sorry. And you can start serving people around you and taking care of, of those in your kingdom and loving them out of your heart for him. And, if, and listen to this. Daniel said, and if you do this, now listen, your prosperity. Everybody say prosperity. Because it's really quiet in here and I'm worried about you. <laughs> Look at this. He said, your prosperity will continue. What does that mean? God wants you to prosper. But as Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm awesome. All this is because of me. Everything in my hand is because of me. The, the Bible says the words were no sooner out of his mouth than a voice out of heaven spoke. This is the verdict. And we know he lost his mind and God separated him for a period of time. And here's the truth, my friends. I, I, I wrestled with this because I love you so much. I don't get to tell God what he should say to you. So hear my heart today. And I'm speaking to me too. God will not overlook pride in his children because he's a good father. Just like any good dad would not allow as they see pride coming up in, in, the, in, their, in our kids. And listen, it is part of our, 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 the sinful nature we're born into, but it's also magnified in our ungodly culture. I mean, we're getting it from, from, from both sides. But a good father wouldn't ignore their child if they're prideful, why? Because they know it's going to destroy their life. It's going to destroy them. So a good father who's, who actually has, has been down the road before says, uh-uh, uh-uh. This, this area of pride, we got to deal with this. That's the same way as God. So how do you avoid the discipline from God? You live a life of surrender and relationship with God out of humility and repentance. You just, you, you keep, one of the great advices I got from a worship leader, Dr. Stephen Newby. He said, Jason, he said, this is how I live my life. Keep your account short with God. Don't keep your, if you've, if you've failed, then Lord, I'm so sorry. Lord, please. Oh, if you see pride in your heart, God, I'm so sorry. We were worship leaders together in an organization called Promise Keepers and, and 25, 30,000 men, we get to lead worship together. He was like, he was, he was relentless at squashing pride that would somehow get up. Some person, you're awesome. Be like, nope, Jesus is awesome. It's important. Doesn't mean you're, you're not like, God, this is, a, I can't believe I'm able to do this. But it's not like, Lord, I deserve to be here. These men are fortunate I'm here. God, good thing you knew me so I could lead your people. Keep your account short. In other words, live a life of repentance. Live a life aware of what's going on. And you live your life by giving God the glory. Pride is when you take credit for what God has placed in your life. Pride is when you take credit, when you actually think what you have in your life is all because of you. That's prideful. 
Now Hebrews 12 talks about the discipline of the Lord and he says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines, look, the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastens everyone he accepts as his own son. So God's discipline is a mark that you belong to him. What's very interesting is that Paul was giving a, given a thorn in his flesh. Why? Because he, he had received revelation. He had spent time with the risen Christ. Jesus had discipled him. Jesus had shown him all throughout the Old Testament how everything, I mean, this guy, he, he was the, the most learned of all people. And, and th- this, this is mind-boggling to me, but Paul prays and says, Lord, can you remove this thorn in my flesh? That, and another scripture says, was given to him or given to me to keep him humble because of the great revelation that God had, had, had poured through him to the nations. And the response is, my grace is sufficient. In your weakness, my power will be made perfect. Humility, and I, I had this thought after first service, like, God, why would you give Paul or allow Paul to have a thorn in the flesh? And I felt like the Holy Spirit said, because I wanted to be with him. I wanted to be intimate with him. And I, and the doorway of me ministering to people and ministering through them is humility. Because I knew what Paul really wanted and I wanted to bless his life because he was so faithful to me. So I gave him a thorn or I allowed a thorn to be in his life so that I can build and grow in relationship with him. I know this, 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 is, this is a discipleship message today. But it's in the Bible. And I'm, I, I have to be true to this. And this is this whole idea. When God disciplines us, it's a mark that you belong to him. The last one, number five. God will honor your humility in his discipline. Look, look at this. With restoration and intimacy with him. Like, really, what do we all really want? Well, we want to live a life that God blesses and we want intimacy with the Father. I want to know God more and more of what, why he made me, why he called me. I want to know his closeness. I, I, though I, I, am, I am under and submitted to God, I am also through scripture says I am his friend. I want to grow in that. At the end of my life, I won't, I won't wish that I did more, earned more. I will wish, I wish I could have been closer to God on this earth so he could have used me for something more. Intimacy with God is a motivation. We see with Nebuchadnezzar at the, at the end of the seven years, look, it says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked to heaven. I was given my mind back and I blessed the high God, thanking and glorifying God who lives forever. So this is a different man. Remember, before this time, he said, he said listen, I, you know, Nebuchadnezzar looked at himself and, he, I was, and, and whatever, and, and I started thinking myself and glorifying myself, who I'm the, the real king, I'm the sovereign rule. This is different now. And he had spent his life looking down on people, being Mr. Successful, ruling and reigning. 
And he transitioned from that into looking down at the ground, eating grass. But in a moment, he realized, I'm not at the top of the food chain. And he lifted his eyes. Instead of looking down, he lifted his eyes up. And he locked eyes with the God of the universe. And he said, you, God, are the sovereign one. You are the high and lifted one. I submit myself under you. Lord, I repent. God, I recognize today that you're the Lord of my life. You are the one who, who wants to bring glory through my life to point everybody to you. He lifted his eyes from him and how good he was. And he lifted him and locked them on the eyes of God. This is the moment he responded such a beautiful picture. He says, I was reestablished as king and my kingdom became great, greater than ever. And that's why I'm singing, singing and praising the king of heaven. He's a different man. And I believe Nebuchadnezzar was genuinely converted and humbled, but it was through humility. Humility. It's what God needs in our life so he can move us forward, so he can bless our lives. And he gives us the grace, and he works his, his spirit in us. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. This isn't about you trying harder to be humble. How does a prideful person say, be humble, be humble, be humble? It's hard. You can't. It can only be done when you confess that you need Humility. And then God says, I've been waiting because I want to bless you. I want to be near you. That promotion you haven't been able to get because of the pride, guess what, humble young man? I'm going to promote you. Because of the relationships that you've been struggling with and it's been this angst in your spirit, I'm going to bless them. Because of the turmoil and anxiety in your, in your heart and because, because you're trying to control everything, actually, Lord, I humble myself and I realize I'm actually not in control, which I knew all along, but I was trying. And then God gives you peace. The narrative in your head where you're always complaining, you're always finding out what's wrong, you're always mad at a waitress or waiter because they brought you the wrong thing or the wrong drink or the wrong this or the wrong. Why are you doing that? Because we are full of pride because life's all about me. But then all of a sudden God says, hey, will you make life all about you showing me to those around you? If you'll do that, man, I'll bless you. Pride has come in between parents and children and children and, and their other siblings and husband and wife and uncle and, and, and aunt and cut. I mean, it is rampant, my friends. God has much for you. It's time to just admit, Lord, I need humility. And so I want to ask you a couple questions. And you can just consider them and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you today. What areas of your life that you have put your words in the mouth of God to justify your behavior? What areas have you become the God of these areas? Is your pride deconstructing 
the relationships that you desperately need to give you life and peace. When's the last time that you admitted you were wrong? Not that you demanded everyone else admit first and then you will. Not that you took five minutes or 10 minutes or a day or three weeks trying to justify that you were right. When's the last time you said, oh, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm sorry. I had the wrong spirit. Please forgive me. When's the last time that you did something to someone that you knew was not right and you said, I'm sorry that I did that to you? Do you need to repent? Or maybe today you're being disciplined by God. One, that's awesome because it means he loves you. And you're his child. Here's another question. What areas are the discipline of God that you're not seeing it for what it is? The solution, if you're being disciplined today, is just like Nebuchadnezzar. Lift your eyes. And say, Lord, I'm sorry. I repent. And I trust that in due time, you will restore me. As your scripture says, as I humble myself under the mighty hand of God, in due time, you will lift me up and exalt me. But Lord, I repent. God is faithful and he will obey his word. He wrote it. He will honor his word. What area of your marriage needs to be healed because there's a lack of humility? Have you invited God into every area of your space, of your life? I would encourage you today, just humble yourself. We're, listen, this is not about perfection. This is about progress. And we are being conformed. We haven't arrived. This is about making progress in our lives. If you can, just for a moment, just bow your heads. Just ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you what area, pride, has made its way in relationships, work, your neighborhood, that boat, that truck, the people you know, the names you need to drop all the time. things you need to do to show people you're successful? What area? What relationship? It's time. Invite the Holy Spirit. Even the areas where you feel like you're, you're never enough because you don't measure up. Ask the Lord to give you humility in that area. 
Maybe you feel like I'm not successful enough. Who said? God wants to give you peace right where you are. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you and we ask you that you would evaluate our hearts, that your loving hand would reveal to us today where we need humility. And by your grace, God, we ask you to forgive us. Cleanse me of my pride. Forgive me for not admitting when I'm wrong or trying to prove others wrong, which 1 Corinthians 13 is so clear, God. Love does not keep record of wrong. Lord, give me humility in my relationship with my children, my grandchildren, so that we can, I can serve them and love them. May I see, God, humility, Jesus, as you saw, that we're to take on the nature of Christ. He did not consider himself equal with God, but humbled himself even to death on the cross. Lord, Jesus has done so much in all of our lives. And that work was done because of humility. God used me from humility. And God, I ask you that you would prosper my life, that you would restore the things that needed to be adjusted in my life because of discipline. Thank you, God. I lift my eyes unto the one who I love. And God, today I give you all of my life, my mind, my spirit, my marriage, my children, my finances, my house, my business, my workplace, and I humble myself. And I thank you for your care and your love in my life. In Jesus' name. Just remain with your heads bowed today. If you feel today that the Lord has spoken to you, that you need to give your life to him, and you haven't, and you have not humbled yourself to say, Lord, I need you. If you want to give your life to him today, nobody's looking around, just raise your hand. Just lift it up right now to give your life to Jesus. And hold it up so I can see you. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. God bless you. Thank you. And the Bible says that as you confess and believe, you are saved. And what you're doing today is coming into alignment with the Holy Spirit has just shown you. You need a Savior and also shown you Jesus is the answer. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I humble myself before you. I believe that you're the Son of God. And I believe that you died for me. I believe you paid the penalty for my sins. I believe that you were buried and rose again. I believe you ascended to heaven. And I believe that you have called me to be one of your children. 
And I say yes to you today. I humble myself and I ask you to lead me and guide me. May I live for you and bring you glory through my life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, let's give God a hand today.